Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. All right, let's turn to Romans 16. We come now to the last chapter of this wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul. We're going to mine some riches here out of this greeting of the Apostle. Follow along as I read verses 1 to 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelitis, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my beloved, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ascritidas, Philogen, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. I know you're not envying my my place here, trying to read these names. These are not familiar names to us in the 21st century. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, All the churches of Christ greet you. So this is Paul's greetings to the church at Rome. It's amazing. He names, he has greetings for 26 people, but he names 24. He had a great memory. Never been to this church in Rome. These were people that he knew in other places where he had ministered, and some he knew about. Now, some of them are completely unknown to us. We can't say any 
more about them than what we read here in the text. But you'll notice as we read that Paul commends many of them. He appreciates them. He lets them know that. He has kind things to say. But they appear to be ordinary people, except for a couple of names. So I want us to think through Paul's greetings. But first of all, he has a word of commendation, not a greeting, but a commendation for Phoebe. So we want to consider what he says about her. Verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now she's at the church. Remember where Paul was when he wrote the book of Romans? He's in Corinth. He's not anywhere near Rome at this point. He's in Greece. And Sincrea was a church he ministered in. It's only eight miles from Corinth. Apparently, this lady is going to make a trip to Rome. And so he writes a commendation for her because it's quite likely that she's going to carry this letter to the church at Rome. And he wants the church to welcome her, to bring her in with a warm welcome into their fellowship. But there's a reason why she's going there. She's going there for, um, she needs some sort of help. And he asked the church to give her that help, whatever it is. It's unspoken exactly the nature of it. But notice what he says about her, that she has been a patron of many. That word means that she's been a benefactor. She brought aid to, who knows, how many saints she ministered to. It could have been financial. It could have been uh, material resources that she had. It could have been housing that she provided. But this was a lady who had a great reputation for helping other Christians. Apparently she was a person of wealth and status in the church. So he commends her. Now, this was a common thing in the ancient world to write a letter of commendation when a person was traveling. Because frequently a traveler would rely on the hospitality of other people when they were traveling. They just didn't check into the local motel when they... Christians especially relied on other believers. So Paul, this would have been beautiful for her because she doesn't know those people in Rome, but they know of the Apostle Paul. And so he is not a stranger to the church, even though he has not gone there. They're they're familiar with who the Apostle Paul is at Rome. And so with a letter in her hand from Paul, this is going to help her. Even though she's a stranger, they are not, they're familiar with who is sending her, who is writing this letter of commendation. So it'll make it easier for them to receive her, although she's a stranger. Well, this was a common practice, so I read in the ancient world, a letter of commendation when you're traveling. So that's what we have with the commendation of Phoebe. Now, in verses 3 to 15, we find these greetings. 
Now, right off the, the word for greet, it the verb appears 17 times, and it's an imperative. That means it's a command. Paul is commanding the church body to greet these people for him. This is this is what he's doing. But this is Paul. This is how Paul is conveying his own greetings. Is through the church. And the word greet, it means more than say hi to so-and-so. That's not what it means. This is more, give my love to this person. There's something, there's warmth in the, the original word. If it was a personal greeting where they're face-to-face, there'd be a mutual exchange of warmth and affection. So notice who he begins with. Recognize these names from our study in the book of Acts. Who's Prisca? That's Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. This pair, this is a husband and wife team. They appear six times in the New Testament. Several of those times in the book of Acts. But here they are in this letter to Paul. Now, who was Priscilla and Aquila? Well, our first introduction to this couple was in the book of Acts chapter 18 when Paul went to Corinth. They were in Corinth. And Paul made this connection with them because not only were they fellow Jews, but they shared the same trade. Remember that? Paul was a tent maker. Actually, they believe a leather worker is a more accurate rendering of what Paul's trade was. And they were doing the same thing. So Paul stayed with them and they worked together. Paul became very close to this couple. They became dear friends of Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. That was on his second missionary journey. When he left Corinth, they left with him on the return trip to Antioch of Syria, back to the sending church. But Paul dropped them off in Ephesus. They stayed in Ephesus while Paul went back to Antioch, reported to the church, and then he launched out on his third missionary journey. This is all in chapter 20 of Acts. Paul returned to Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila were. He rejoins them. How long did he stay in Ephesus? Three years. This was a major hub of Asia. And Paul ministered there as a pioneer missionary in Ephesus for three years. We know about the riot and all of that that took place in chapter 19 of Acts. So eventually they returned to Rome where they originally came from. Actually, we learned that from Acts 18, that they had been... uh, Commanded by an edict of the emperor, Claudius, he removed all the Jews that were in Rome. They had to leave the city of Rome. That was in, I think, 49 AD. And Claudius was the emperor then. He died in 54. And after his death, that edict was not in force. And Priscilla and Aquila went back to Rome. So this is where they are. They're in Rome now. And Paul knows that they're there. Okay, that is a background to this couple. Notice what he says about them. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, 
who risked their necks for my life. Now, when did that take place? We're not sure when that was, but most likely it was during the riot in Ephesus that they somehow intervened and Paul was rescued through their intervention. They risked their life for the Apostle Paul. And he says, to whom not only do I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Yeah, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. So the Gentile churches were grateful that the apostle that was sent specifically to them did not get killed in Ephesus. So Paul is grateful for this couple. He adds to that, greet also the church that is in their house. So this tells us that they were probably a fairly well-to-do couple, that they were able to buy a house that was a little larger than the typical home, and they could have meetings there. Remember, there were no church buildings back at this time. Church buildings did not appear until the third century. Well, then the churches were meeting in houses. That's why this emphasis on house churches today. They're following what the early church did for the first few centuries. So this was a house that Priscilla and Aquila owned that they opened up to the congregation. Now, I don't believe the entire church at Rome met there because there's an indication at the end, we'll come to it, that there may have been some other groups, other house churches in Rome, and so the congregation may have been divided up. That's the way it appears. I'm still in verse 5. Paul says, greet my beloved. Notice how many times Paul says that about an individual. My beloved is somebody Paul had a deep affection for. We don't really know anything about him other than what Paul says here. Epinetus who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So here was one of the original converts of Paul's ministry when he went to Asia. The original is one of the, he's the first fruit, is what the text says. But we understand that to mean a convert. He was the first fruit of the gospel in Asia. To this man he adds, Mary, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now, Mary is a very common name, not only in, among the Jewish people, but even in the Gentile world. So we're not sure who Mary was exactly, except she was a hard worker. In the original, it means she worked much. She labored much. So we have this translation, she was a hard worker. Not only did she work, she worked much. Paul says that about two different people here, that they were hard workers. For the gospel. Now we come to another couple. This is also believed to be a husband and wife, Andronicus and Junia. But notice what he says about them my kinsmen, they're fellow Jews, but they have Greek names. These are not Jewish names. This is a Greek name. So that tells us that they're probably Hellenistic Jews. They did not come from Palestine. They lived in the Roman world. They adopted the 
Greek culture. They spoke Greek as their first language, not Hebrew. They were Hellenists. Notice what he says about them. My fellow prisoners. Now, Paul uses that phrase in two other of his epistles, in Colossians chapter 4 and in Philemon. And in both those other occasions, he's referring to individuals who, were, who actually shared in a prison experience with Paul. So it's very likely that this couple were imprisoned with him. No, I don't read about that in the New Testament. Paul was in prison more times than what we read in the Bible. He was incarcerated in Philippi, went to the local jail there, which was like a dungeon. And then he had a couple of Roman imprisonments. But Clement of Rome in 96 AD, one of the early church fathers, said that Paul was imprisoned seven times. Interesting. And Paul himself wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about all the things that he suffered as an apostle, as a servant of Christ, that he was frequently in prison. That's how he says it. Far more imprisonments, he says, is the translation we have in our Bible here. Now, notice also what he says. They are well known to the apostles. He's still talking about Andronicus and Junia. They're well known to the apostles. Now, he doesn't mean apostles, meaning the circle of the twelve. Remember, the word for apostles simply means messenger. And that word is used beyond the circle of the original twelve apostles. Barnabas was called an apostle, Paul was an apostle, and there's other references to apostles in the church, a messenger. Most likely it means a traveling missionary. But they were respected in the church for their ministry. And these people were known. In other words, they were highly esteemed. They had a reputation of service to Jesus Christ. And Paul says that they were in Christ before me. Interesting detail that he brings out. They were converted in the early days of Christianity. They could have been among the group because it says that there were people from Rome on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So they could have come to Rome for the celebration of the Passover, this couple, and could have come to Christ through Peter's Pentecostal sermon. We don't know that. That's speculation. But anyhow, they were followers of Christ before the Apostle Paul. Now he mentions next... Very short word here in verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved. Again, somebody that Paul had a deep affection for in the Lord. Now, the only thing that we can add to this is that there is a name in the catacombs like this. This name is found in the catacombs of Rome. 
inscribed somewhere, an inscription. Those were the underground caves where Christians were buried in Rome. So that would just, if this is the same man, it adds to the historicity of the text, does it not? Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Notice he says, our fellow worker. He doesn't say, my fellow worker. He changes the pronoun here, which seems to indicate that Paul is going on the basis of the man's reputation, that he's a worker in the, in the kingdom, a worker for Jesus Christ, our fellow worker, greet him, Paul says, and my beloved Stachus. Now I looked this up in the original to try to get the pronunciation, and that seems to be how it would be pronounced in English. I was scratching my head with that one. How do you say that? Stachus is how I, I'm pronouncing it. Again, Paul says, my beloved, Stachus. So there's a few people he calls my beloved. Whoever they are, we know really nothing more about them except Paul had an affection for them. Verse 10, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Now this is a new, a new thought in the greeting. He says of this man that he was approved in Christ. This, this, what this means is this man had gone through some sort of testing. And he had come out on the other side of being genuine. Tried, tested, and true was Apelles. We don't know what the nature of the test was, but this was a Christian who had undergone some test of character and he came out on the other side as sterling. Genuine. Trustworthy man. Approved in Christ. I love that. Beautiful note about Apollos. Added to that, in verse 10, Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, notice he doesn't say greet Aristobulus. That tells me that Aristobulus was probably not a Christian. But he says greet his household. Greet the members of his family, which would include the slaves as well as the rest of his household. Now, it's interesting. Some of the commentators believe that this may possibly be the grandson of Herod the Great. One of Herod the Great's children was Herod Agrippa I. Remember, he was the one who had, who took his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and John the Baptist rebuked him for it. It's not lawful for you to have her, he said. He lost his head over it. Well, they... Herodias and Herod Agrippa I, they had a son by this name. You can look it up. And there's, there, since this is in Rome, it's, it's quite possible that this is somebody from the Herod family, his grandson. It's interesting if it is. We don't know. I'm putting it out there for you to just ponder. 
it would explain why he says greet that household, even though the head of the household did not profess faith in Christ. And then also notice right after that, greet Herodian. Greet Herodian. Apparently this was some servant connected to the Herodian family who served the Herods, given a name like that. Who's next here? Greet those in the Lord, again notice, in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Same situation. He doesn't say greet Narcissus. Again, they believe that this is the famous Narcissus who served Claudius the emperor and was a very high up in the Roman government. But Paul wants them to greet his family, his household, to include the slaves. Also, Narcissus committed suicide um, as a detail, if this is the same individual, before Paul wrote Romans. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. These are sisters. The name of one of them means dainty, delicate. <laughs> Some even say the other name is similar, the root, and probably they both have that implication. Dainty or delicate. So two women, sisters. Notice they're workers in the Lord. They may have had the name of dainty or delicate, but they weren't too delicate to be a worker in the kingdom. Another lady is added, greet the beloved Persis, female, who has worked hard, here it is again, labored much, Persis, in the Lord. Again, we don't know who this is. She could have been a slave. She could have been a freed woman. Paul says, greet her. Now, the next one is interesting. Verse 13, greet Rufus. Now, Rufus possibly is the son of Simon of Cyrene. John brought up the text in Sunday school. Simon of Cyrene, who was killed, uh, rather, called upon by the Romans to carry the cross of Jesus. Well, it says, Mark's account of that, Mark 15, that Rufus was the father of Alexander, excuse me, Simon of Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. So this possibly is the connection, that his father... Simon carried the cross for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Rufus. And notice Paul says also to greet his mother. He doesn't name her, but she's been a mother to Paul as well. Now let me comment on Rufus being chosen in the Lord. Now this is the word for elect. But the word for elect means more than being selected. There's a secondary meaning to it. 
And most believe that this is how Paul means it, because he could have said this about all of these people, that they were chosen in the Lord, if he simply meant they were elected. There's something else implied here in this word. It is to be considered the best in the course of a selection. In other words, this is a choice person, an imminent choice In other words, Paul is saying that they are outstanding Christians when he says they are chosen in the Lord. Choice, imminent, the best. Verse 14. Now comes this list of five people in each of these verses, 14 and 15. We don't know anything about any of these individuals I can comment on the the names of a few. In the first list, verse 14, Hermes, you might remember that Paul was given that name in Acts 14 by those in Lystra who wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they gave each of them the name of a god. Paul was Hermes because he was the chief speaker, and Barnabas was Zeus. So this is the name of a god. This was a common name to name slaves. Petrobus is short for Petrobius. And this is a name that is linked with a household of wealthy freedmen during the reign of Nehru. We don't know anything about him. But then... Verse 15, we have one more couple. Yeah, my text, it's simply a comma between Philogius and Julia. But in the original, we have a conjunction between them. It's Philogius and Julia. So this is probably another couple. And then, Nereus... And his sister could possibly be their children. So this could be a family that Paul is naming here. But the thing to note, in verse 14, Paul adds, And the brothers who are with them greet them. And then to this second group, in verse 15, he says, And all the saints who are with them. So he's he's kind of dividing these two groups up. He's identifying one group. Greet the brothers that are with them, and then this other group. So this this possibly is two more house churches within the congregation of the Christians at Rome. Now finally, in verse 16, we have Paul's standard ending greeting. How does he end? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now the, the kiss back in the ancient world is still used today. This is how they greeted one another. You see them, they, put, they do it on one side and then the other. I've seen many people do this. It's still in practice today. It's cultural. But notice, Paul's, Paul is commanding it. Now, the fact that he's commanding something that is a cultural and custom, customary practice, it doesn't mean that we're gonna, we have to do it in the 21st century. Well, we, in, in America, we don't show affection that way. We 
do it other ways. A fist bump is has become now a way of showing affection to somebody. Or bump, I, I bump shoulders with people. This is how I do it. Some people give hugs. You know, rarely is it a kiss in American culture in where we are. So this is a case in point of a cultural practice being commanded by the apostle to do this. Because what were they demonstrating? They were, when you kiss somebody, notice he calls it a holy kiss, to safeguard that, you're showing a mutual affection and also a, an acceptance of the person in the church. This is a way of showing their acceptance, not only in the fellowship, but also, in a sense, before God. We're all equal. We're all accepted before him. We love one another, and we show it with this holy kiss. So Paul, is in, Paul has commanded this in other letters. This is nothing new. And then he adds, finally, and all the churches of Christ greet you. Now, that's not a command. He's simply saying they greet you. So, same word for greeting, but it's different because it's not an imperative. Now, all the churches would be all the churches of the Gentiles, verse 4. And and give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So I think Paul, when he's saying all the churches greet you, he's talking about the churches he planted. The churches that he's been in, that he's familiar with. Those are the churches that greet you. They are the Gentile churches. Greet the church at Rome. Why does he add that? Well, he wants to bring the, the church of Rome. They're way out in Italy. He hasn't gotten there yet. He's been in Asia. He's been in one part of Europe, in uh, Greece. And he wants to bring that Roman Christian congregation into the fellowship of other Gentile churches. This is why he, why he adds that at the end. It's important for them to know that. They're part of the group. Now, what are the takeaways from this greeting? Let me throw some things out to you. This would not be a normal text that somebody would bring a sermon on unless they were going through the book and they are going to cover everything. But what are the takeaways for us? Well, there's a couple of things I'd like to bring out. First of all, you clearly see the diversity of the church in Rome. We could, we could imply that there's a unity among them to a certain extent. We know from the previous chapters there was some sort of tension between the Jewish Christians in that church and the Gentile Christians over eating certain kind of foods, over the observance of days. So it wasn't entirely at peace. Paul is trying to help it by sending this letter to them. But the thing that comes out here is the diversity of this church. Some of these people are Jewish that he's writing to. Some are Gentiles. Some were higher up in the Roman government. Possibly the household of Aristopolis, if that is indeed the grandson of Herod the Great. It's an amazing thing that they were connected to the church. His household was. Christianity had gone in there. Male and female are there, free men, freed women, slaves. 
the na- the, many of the names imply those things. So the church was very diverse. That's one thing that we see. Now, here's another thing. Paul acknowledged many of these people as workers and hard workers for Jesus Christ, which tells me something. Paul saw that there were other people laboring in the field. He didn't think that he was doing it all, nor did he think he was the most important person in the field. He acknowledged, freely acknowledged, these other people who were working in the field, who were serving in the church. I like that. Now he recognizes ten women in this list. Two of them are unnamed, but he names ten, uh, eight of them. But there are ten that are mentioned. That's also an important detail, not to miss that. From the very beginning of Christianity, women played a very important part in the spread of the gospel. Who was the last at the cross? Women. All of the disciples, they fled, but the women stayed there. Who were the first at the tomb on Sunday morning? Women. Who were the first to see the risen Christ? Mary Magdalene. So we need to remember that they played, women played an important role in the early church. And here is a good example of it. I love the fact that Paul mentions them. Is this not all about men and what men are doing? They had an equal share of the load. There have been many wonderful women missionaries who went to the field all by themselves. Amy Carmichael, who went to India, and others like her, serving Jesus Christ. Did you notice how Paul defines the Christians in these greetings over and over and over again? Ten times how he defined Christians? How did he define them? Did you catch it? I color-coded my Bible so I would see it. In the Lord, verse 2. In Christ Jesus, verse 3, and so on. It's in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ, in Christ, in the Lord, in the Lord, my fellow workers, in the Lord. This is how Paul defined believers. This is the great theological truth that comes out in Paul's writings that he explains to Christians that one of the things that makes us a believer is the fact that we are in a unique relationship to Jesus Christ that other people do not share yet. But we share in this close, intimate relationship with Jesus being in Christ. That's a unique phrase to Paul. He is in us by His Spirit, and in some mystical way, we are in Him. We call this union with Christ. It's one of the deep theological truths of the New Testament. Who gives us this doctrine? It's the Apostle Paul. But you know, Paul's teaching on being in Christ comes from Jesus himself. John 15. I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Every branch in me. And so Jesus uses a an analogy that we can look at and actually visualize it. You look at a grapevine and you see the, the main stalk of the, of the vine. And then these branches that come off of it that bear the fruit. Well, the branch has to be connected to that vine. And if it's severed from the vine, that branch will wither and die. And Jesus said, apart from me, separated from me, you can do nothing. That's being in Him. So actually, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught that to His disciples. But Paul, being the great New Testament premier theologian of Christianity, develops it in detail. In the book of Romans, chapter 5. In Ephesians, chapter 1. And what being in Christ means. God chose us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame before Him. So Paul just goes over that truth, emphasizing it. This is how he looked at Christians. He couldn't see them any other way. This person does not stand by himself. This man or this woman that I know, that I love, now they are in Christ. This is why they're my brother or my sister. So Paul emphasizes that in this greeting. So there's some nuggets here. I trust that I've mined out a couple for us to ponder. What a greeting of the Apostle. It's the longest one of any of his epistles. But the book of Romans is his longest letter, so it doesn't surprise me that he would have the longest closing greeting. So may the Lord bless this portion of his word today. Amen. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.